Welcome to 15 to Life, the podcast that talks about life after life in prison. Come with us on a journey and explore stories from within the prison walls to outside the prison walls. All of these podcasts are dedicated to the victims of crime. Hey, what's up and welcome to the podcast 15 to Life, the podcast where we talk about life after having a life sentence in prison. I'm your host, Tito, and today we're going to be talking about 12 years of freedom, right? And don't get me wrong, uh, it's not like I was locked up my entire life from the age of, you know, (laughs) one or something, but uh, since my release, uh, February 25th, 2009, it has now been 12 years. And I think it's funny. Uh, I totally have to put this blooper out there, right? I totally posted that I've been out 11 years. <clears throat> and for whatever reason in my mind, it was 11 years, <clears throat> even though it had been 12. And the reason being is um, when I hit my 11-year mark, I was kind of in transit. Uh, we were celebrating my daughter's fourth birthday. I had family in from out of town, and I, I, it just kind of glazed over. Um, so it wasn't anything on my radar, really. And so this year, I thought it was 11, and it's really 12. And someone else had to actually correct me on it. Imagine that. So anyway, we got 12 years of freedom in now. Um, to put this in perspective, I am 48 years old. So when I went to a jail I was 24 so at that time in my life I had you know 24 years of freedom I went in with a 15 to life sentence I got that sentence overturned about four years and some change into it I took a a plea agreement Um, so I went from second degree murder 15 years to life I took a plea agreement, which was for 14 years, which at the time, and I'm pretty sure it's probably still consistent, was the maximum sentence for involuntary manslaughter, four years, um, and a gun enhancement, which was 10 years at the time. Um, so the the sentencing structure for those two um, uh, statutes or laws or convictions for involuntary manslaughter, you can get probation. Like, you don't even have to go to prison or jail or anything, right? And involuntary manslaughter usually is more the, you know, you were backing up your car, you didn't see a kid because they, they were too small or whatever. You hit the kid, totally unintentional. Uh, it's it's basically set up for, like, accidental homicide, right? Um, and you can, you can get probation for that. You don't even have to go to prison or anything. Uh, the maximum term for involuntary manslaughter is four years. Now, involuntary manslaughter is not considered a violent crime even though someone dies. Um, so you can actually, in the state of California, do half time. But if you have an enhancement like a gun enhancement or you used a weapon or whatever, then it takes it away. Um, not to take away from anything, I wouldn't change anything, but moving forward in the judicial system and i'm sure everyone at some stage uh thinks there's problems with that and i'll just throw this out there um involuntary manslaughter you can do half time but you killed someone so adding on an enhancement shouldn't make it so it's ineligible for half time 
uh, especially for first-time offenders and everything else. If you're going to give them involuntary, you know, the weapon, it's still involuntary, right? So they kind of contradict one another, but needless to say, the gun enhancement at the time was three, uh, what was it, three, six, and ten years, I believe. Yeah, three, six, and ten years. Um, So as a first-time offender, I got the max on everything. It was a plea agreement, so I can't blame the judge or anything. But it was kind of messed up in my mind. Uh, but now that I'm here, I totally agree with it. I just think that the system gets used in different ways and it shouldn't, right? But anyway, because uh, I could have came out a hell of a lot worse than I did. Anyway, I'm taking up way too much time on this. So basically, 24 years old, I go in. Um, during that time, the sentence changes to basically 12 years. Uh, I'm sorry, 14 years, which I have to do 85%. So I end up doing just shy of 12 actual years, like 11 years, like nine months and some change, whatever, right? Um, matter of fact, 11 years, 11 months and some change. Um, like two weeks shy of 12 actual straight years incarcerated. I parole at the age of 36. So obviously, 12 years ago, right? So I went into jail March 97. I got out February 2009. And here we are, 2021. Now, I posted something on LinkedIn. And if you guys want to find me on LinkedIn, it's Tito Guerrero. LinkedIn, hell, drop drop a comment and say, you know, you, you heard on the podcast. But I posted... And the picture is actually an old picture, so I feel kind of bad, but hey, whatever. Um, but it's a picture of me holding my prison ID, and behind me are my two degrees um, on the wall, and it's in office. I believe that was when I was working in Oakland. I'm, I'm 90% sure that's when I still worked in Oakland. And um, I basically put on there... Uh, Matter of fact, I'm looking at it right now, so let me read it. 12 years ago today, I was released from prison with $200 in hope. Hope for a chance at redemption, to make amends, to be the man I should have been 12 years prior. I still struggle with being that man, but I will never give up on progress. So a little bit, you know, selfish there. Like I'm putting that out, but I'm putting it out there because I want people to understand that if they look at my LinkedIn and they see all the different positions I've had and bouncing around and everything, um, you you'll see that if you just said that my conviction, because other than my conviction, all the other stupid stuff I did in my life, I, I never got in trouble for any of it. Just like most people don't get in trouble for the stupid things they do, right? So on paper, like my murder conviction is what I got, right? Well, my involuntary manslaughter conviction. But that makes it so hard to get a job, and especially at 36 years old, it's not like I'm some some kid that can go just run and do anything, right? So um, I posted this, and um, uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm, I'm like a little set back, uh, the responses I got. So just to let you guys know, I have about a thousand-ish connections on LinkedIn, um, so if every one of my connections looked at this post, I should have a thousand, a thousand and some change views. And, you know, if everyone liked it, I'd have a thousand and some change likes, that kind of stuff. Right. 
So this morning, and it is Monday morning, March 1st, happy birthday to my beautiful Princess Leia, my little girl. She's five years old today. Anyway, um, this thing has got 78,000 views, um, 1,700 reactions, likes, and all that junk, and over 200 comments, and it's been up for a few days, right? And, and I'm just, like, amazed. I'm like, wow. And, like, all these people saying, you know, great job, keep it up and everything. And and I didn't even say anything I've been doing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, <clears throat> and it doesn't even say the, the kind of the hardship I'm going through right now. So this podcast, I'm actually going to try and keep it a little bit short and just reflect, okay? So... And I didn't write this out, so sorry if I jump around a little bit, but um, I just wanted to talk about what 12 years has looked like for me, okay? So, I got out 2009. Um, I I probably did something a little bit different from what a lot of guys, um, whether it's short-term or long-term incarceration, do. Um, a good year before I got out, and mind you, um, the last year before I was paroled, six months of it, or almost six months, I was in ADSEG. I was in the whole administrative segregation. Um, I got into it with someone, and uh, I refused to tell, <laughs> so they left me in the hole for six months. Uh, pressure tactics, right? And I wouldn't tell, and they finally let me out six months before I paroled to come home, right? But... I was working on it right before I went to the hole and then um, while I was in the hole and then when I got out of the hole, right, until I paroled, which was working on a plan. So I was a certified optician. I got that while in prison. I worked in one of the largest optical labs in the country, which happens to be at Solano State Prison. Um, Over 100 inmates worked there and almost all of them are certified opticians. Um, these guys could go out and work at any lens crafters, any of these places running their labs, creating, uh, prescription glasses. I want to say that again, over a hundred inmates running an optical lab that is one of the largest optical labs in the United States of America. Yeah, but we can't get jobs when we get out. So needless to say, I took my certifications and my skills um, and I I started sending out applications basically, writing Walmarts and everything. And I actually got some responses saying, you know, hey, you get out, you know, with your skills and with your certification, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give you an opportunity, right? So I'm excited. Like I developed a budget, which I still have this in storage right now, but I developed this budget. Uh, revolving around making <clears throat> 13 to 15 bucks an hour. And I figured as an optician, I did my research, you know, um, that's about what I should be able to make. So I developed a budget and that budget revolved around getting a cell phone, getting a laptop so I could start going to school, like all this stuff, right? And then I had a three and a five year plan, right? And the my, my ultimate goal was that in five years, and I, and I know it's going to sound funny, but mind you, I was going to be a 36-year-old, no credit, no money, no job, you know, starting literally from scratch like someone getting out of high school except with a conviction, right? 
So my five-year goal was that I would have my bachelor's degree by that time because I figured in between either going to work and or going to school, I could finish up the two years or a year and a half I needed to get my bachelor's, <clears throat> that I would have a, a sustainable job, you know, a nine-to-five, that I would have some money in the bank and that I would be in the process of purchasing. So in other words, you know... Um, mortgage or whatever <laughs> or a loan paying off a loan because i wanted to buy a trailer not a house i figured i would never be able to afford one so i figured if i buy a trailer that's you know somewhere in between 60 and 100k i could buy the trailer and once i own the trailer outright i could sell that and that would be my down payment on a house this, this was my and that would be like past the five-year plan but this was my big goal this was my big thing. Like in five years, I can get this done. I'll be off parole within five years, you know, blah, 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 everything. <clears throat> so 2009 comes and guess what? Recession. Everyone's getting laid off. People are losing jobs. Bills, businesses are folding. It's just a bad time. So I go to all these places and like everyone's like we laid people off. So if we do hire someone, we're going to hire our people back. Which I totally get, you know. And in the meantime, I am like, I'm telling you, when you talk about eight-hour job a day, I'm just submitting resumes, applications, resumes, applications. I'm, I'm doing my due diligence, right? Um, the bad thing is, being that I just got out of prison, my resume is prison, right? And I'm listening to people. People are like, don't tell people you were in prison. You know, say you worked for the state and all this stuff. So I'm, I'm trying all kinds of different ways. I'm like, yeah, I worked in an optical lab. I'm not saying I was in prison. I'm just saying I worked in an optical lab. I worked in a kitchen cooking for, you know, 1,500 people, all this stuff, right? And I'm getting some interviews, phone interviews, right? But nothing is like phone interview and then it falls apart. So... Um, my parents, I'm living with my parents. I'm 36 years old, right? I, I literally parole with, I want to say it was 217 bucks. You get 200 bucks when you parole. And I had somewhere in between 15 and 25 bucks on my books. So I got that too. You know, that, that was enough money to buy a cell phone. <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, a Metro PCS cell phone. So I'm out, I'm doing all this. Uh, uh, I signed up for school because I talked to a buddy of mine and he's like, I'm going to University of Phoenix online and I'm working, uh, I'm doing welding on the side, but it's all cash. Uh, so technically I don't have a job on paper, but I'm going to school and that's good enough for my PO. So I'm like, and uh, no, no offense, homie Bori, I love you to death. Uh, but I figured if Bori could do his shit, I know I can. <laughs> so uh, I signed up for school. Uh, I get um, all this done. My parents went down to Vegas. When they came back, I was in school. Like, uh, I'm going to school and um, I'm doing all this stuff, right? So I'm literally five, 600 resumes applications into it. Nothing is panning out. Like, I'm busting my ass with school. I'm busting my ass with trying to get a job and I just cannot get one. I ended up getting... Um, a telemarketing job, which I hated, but it was something, but it was only part-time and it was in downtown Oakland. I had to pay for parking. So I damn near didn't even make anything, but at least it allowed me to get a little spending cash. But I kept getting told, go to Goodwill, go to Goodwill. And I would not go because I didn't want to go work for some damn thrift store. So needless to say, um, 
I get a call back from a Dr. Wong in San Francisco. I will never forget. And um, I had a good phone interview with her. And she's talking about the equipment they use in their lab. It was a small practice with a few doctors. And I was like, man, I can run all those machines. I'm telling her about it. She's like, wow, you really know your stuff. I'm like, yeah. Like, I just came from that environment. Matter of fact, in the optical lab I worked at, I was a quality control guy. So, like, I'm the last guy to screen and and approve glasses. Uh, just to rewind the tape, back in Solano State Prison, you know, we had all the contracts to do Medi-Cal frames. So anyone who, anyone listening who gets Medi-Cal stuff, uh, glasses, odds are an inmate made them for you. So you're welcome. Anyway, going back to this. Um, so she calls me up and says, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that follow-up interview. And I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, is there anything wrong? Anything I can clarify? Or, you know, she goes, no, I was told not to call you, but I felt like we had such a good conversation. I wanted to circle back with you. I was like, okay. <clears throat> she said, one of the doctors in the office looked me up online and saw that I was convicted of murder and they, they, they didn't want to have a uh, convicted murderer in the office with them. And she's apologizing to me. And I'm like, no, 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 thank you. Um, I was like, you did see that that got overturned. She goes, yeah, but you were convicted of murder. I was like, yes, you're absolutely right. I was. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but thank you. And she goes, no, I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, thank you. I need to hear this. And I got off the phone with her and I called Goodwill. Um, so Goodwill Industries of the Greater East Bay, Goodwill in Oakland. Um, I went in. I did their little self-help groups, and then after I did their life skills uh, training, uh, my application was put in. Um, I kept showing up to help out, do the classes, and then I got a call for a full-time driver position. Um, Hated it. Hated. It it felt like I was back in prison. A lot of guys there were out of prison or, or jail, or they were still like smoking weed and dealing drugs while at work, stealing stuff. It just felt like prison. It was segregated, like blacks were doing this and whites were doing that. And I, I just was like, oh my God, I'm back in freaking prison, right? Um, I hated it. And it wasn't until someone told me their story, right? Um, I feel in love with it. And to this day, I love Goodwill. I've worked for three different Goodwills now. Um, I absolutely love it. And I usually don't talk about where I work, but uh, I am a huge advocate. Please donate to Goodwill. Please uh, donate your your gently used goods. Please donate money. Uh, They help people like me and homeless people and veterans and former addicts. Like, they do good work. Anyway, um, so this guy told me his story, and it was very similar to mine, but he was just further down the road of his story. So I totally fell in love with Goodwill and I wanted to do more. I wanted to stay working there after I heard that. It was, it was an epiphany moment. So now I'm going to start going a little fast. I wanted you <clears throat> to get the gist of where my traction really started hitting. This was n- not even six months out of prison, right? So I'm on parole. I'm dealing with a PO officer. I, I got to check in once a month. I got to do my P test once a month and, and all that good stuff. I get a home visit once a month, and then I have to come in and check in and do the P test once a month. Um, I will tell you, I was on parole three years, so I had to do all three years of my parole. And those three years, I probably had 18 to 20, 24-ish check-ins. Because I built up that rapport with my PO. So everyone that says I got an asshole PO, and uh, you could because there are asshole POs, but it's also a lot of what you do, right? 
So, like, I just built that rapport. I was even helping my PO later on to get other parolees jobs. And then I would give him feedback like, hey, Tom is doing great. You know, he just got a promotion. Like, and they loved me for that. And I didn't mind because I was helping out other parolees. It was all good. Um, Anyway, so I fall in love with Goodwill and I start trying to advance there. During all this time, I'm still working on my degree. So... I end up getting an entry-level job in the corporate office, and I keep moving my way up. By the time 2011 comes, I'm two years out, I got my bachelor's degree. I had a bunch of credits before I went to prison, and then uh, I got some while in prison. And so it took me about a year and a half uh, to to get my bachelor's degree. And um, I'm feeling good because now I have some work experience under me. I got a degree. So I keep pushing. Um, I also, being in the corporate office, was able to really try to help everyone I could to get noticed, which I did. I got noticed by the senior vice president. She kind of took me under her wing. To this day is a mentor of mine and helps me out with things. But uh, I really just start trying to be all that I can be. So I keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. Um. Shortly after getting my bachelor's, I think if I'm going to do any more education, I better do it now because my mind is set up right. Okay, so I went and jumped into my master's degree. Now, something I need to say about my bachelor's, my parents, who I love, oh my God, my parents, without them, I don't know where I'd be right now. Um, But my parents told me I wouldn't be able to go to school and work. My father didn't believe, like, it took a year in him going to my mother and me showing him my student loans that I was signed up and paying for school on my own that without any help. Uh, I, I do love you, Dad, because after I proved that, he paid off my, my student loans for my bachelor's degree and then made a bet with me and ended up having to pay off my master's uh, student loan as well. So thank you, Dad. Love you. And I also love you for not believing in me because it pushed me to do even better. Um But my point is, I had support, which a lot of guys getting out of prison don't have. But my support was telling me what I couldn't do. And I'm here to tell y'all, it's one of the hardest things when people close to you tell you that you're a fuck up. People close to you tell you that you're never going to do something. Or they, they tell you one minute that you can and then beat you, tear you down the next minute. Like, it's absolutely horrible. So if you really want to help someone that's in a bad place, be supportive. And if anything, help them get the job. Help them get the apartment. Help them get education. Help them get things. But don't sit there and tell them what they can't do or tell them how they screwed up in the past and that's all they'll ever be, right? Anyway, so I get my bachelor's degree. I keep moving up the corporate ladder. I go out for my master's. I'm almost done with my master's. and I screw up. Uh, a friend of mine, a cousin of mine, got. she passed the bar, so she became an attorney. And they're all meeting up for drinks. It's the middle of the week. I got work. I got school. I got all this stuff. Uh, but I go. I recently stopped dating someone and moved into a house. I was by myself. So I figured it was a way to get out and meet some people. Um Long story short, uh, we were supposed to all be in a cab. Something didn't happen. I drank way too much. Uh, I end up running my car up on a curve and then sitting and waiting for the police to come get me. Um, I don't remember 
And my father to this day will swear that I wasn't the only one in the car because it was a little Mercedes and all the airbags go off and they're pressure sensitive. So someone else had to be in the car for the airbags to go off. Uh, but I told the police I was the one driving, um, which may or may not be true. I don't know. Um, but I sat there and waited for the police to show up like the good uh, ex-felon on parole that I am. And uh, they took me to the jail and, you know, then they kicked me loose. And then I would call my PO and I told my PO what happened. And he's he's like, all right, we'll come in and I'm going to have to test you. And I was like, fine. Then he called me back and said, I'm not going to test you because you probably still have alcohol in your system. But um, you, you know, you might end up having to go to jail. I was like, no problem. So I, uh, go see my PO with my dad so that, you know, if I got to go to jail, he can leave. And I told my PO, uh, you need to lock me up. And he couldn't believe it. You know, he knew I was in school. He knew I just got my bachelor's. He knew I was helping him with all this other stuff, but he couldn't believe that I was sitting there telling him to lock me up. And he asked me why. And I said, <clears throat> because I was drinking when, I caught my case. I was drinking and handling firearms, and I shouldn't have been doing that. And now I was drinking and driving a car. I could have killed someone. So this is not okay, and I, I don't deserve my freedom. And he couldn't believe it. He could not believe it. And he said, no, nah, man, uh, I already talked to my supervisor. You're not going to get – you're not going back, but you do got to go to board um, for being a parolee that, you know, basically <laughs> went – you know, got arrested. And, um, uh, I'm telling you guys this because a lot of people don't realize I screwed up since I've been home. Everyone thinks since I've been home, I just been great. Not true. So needless to say, um, I go and I talk to a supervisor and his supervisor is like, is it true that you've been helping prolies get jobs and that you've been helping keeping them straight and narrow? And, and I'm like, yeah, but I'm doing that for them. You know, and he's like, yeah, but you also let us know how people are doing. And I go, yeah, that's also for them. Like, you guys might be able to help them get back on their feet. So, yeah. And he's like, man, you're like, I've never heard so much good stuff from someone. So, no, you're not going to get locked up. And I appreciate you offering. He's like, I got parole officers that got DUIs. And I go, yeah, but they never went to prison. I did. So it's I'm different. I appreciate that. But but I couldn't believe these people like trying to talk me out of basically holding myself responsible. Needless to say, I end up going to parole board and they say that, you know, they've never had a parole agent and a parole supervising agent write letters for a parolee saying he needs to not go to prison. And so they let me go and basically said, pretty sure we're never going to see you again. Right. I was like, nope. And they never did. Uh, matter of fact, that is the only time in 12 years I've had a run-in with the police. Um, and ironically, I turned myself in, so to say, because I sat there. I could have walked home like they would have known. So anyway, I finished my master's because I didn't go back to jail. And I remember I wanted, I didn't like the guy who did the commencement speech at my bachelor's because all he did was talk about him and his family, him and his family, and it wasn't about everyone else. So I put in to do the commencement speech to be the little valedictorian and all that. And out of, you know, thousands of people, it, it came down to 100 people. I made that group. Then it came down to 10 people. I made that group. And then I was picked. So I did the commencement speech. And um, the, the, the crowd went wild, so to say, when I got to the part of the speech where I said I was an ex-felon, you know. And I think 
once again, like that guy at Goodwill that told me his story, the power of a story is amazing, right? And that's why I'm doing this. It's the power of a story, and I hope that I get through to someone, and I know I said this is going to be quick. It's probably going to be one of my longer podcasts, but hopefully you guys listen to it all. So I did the commencement speech. I bought a freaking house. I bought a car and a house in the same month. Um, So mind you, my five-year goal was to be financing a trailer to live in. Now I own a house. Once again, thanks, Dad. My dad bought a a beat-up house and did some renovation to it and let me get in dirt cheap. So I appreciate that. Now I'm going to start going a little bit faster. So I made it up to Senior Director of Sales and Operations at Goodwill. I left Goodwill and I started a consulting business where it was really good money, but I, I'm good at selling stuff, but I hate selling myself. Uh, it's always been a problem of mine. And I hate selling things I don't believe in, right? So it, it came down to I was going back and forth with, do I really want to keep doing this? I actually started working at a for-profit um, uh, a subsidiary, a rent center, which I didn't like because you're basically charging people ridiculous amounts of interest to buy things. The good thing, or what I try to make it into good, is that people weren't going to be able to buy their furniture and stuff unless they came through us. So if nothing else, they were getting what they wanted, just they had to pay more to get it, right? But I didn't like it. Then I was offered an opportunity to go to Goodwill in Houston, Texas. I never thought I would ever leave California. So now I, uh, and I got married, by the way, and I had a daughter. So um, I, I have my daughter and I have my wife. And my daughter's just barely, you know, one going on to. And um, we were literally going like, man, we we can go to Houston and it's lower taxes, lower cost of living and all this stuff. We have a house here in California that we can sell and make a lot of money because I got it cheap. Um, and this for-profit offered me a ridiculous amount of money for me not to leave, right? And I'm just going to say, I'll, I won't say how much, but they basically offered me 40% more than what I was making to stay. So put that in perspective. That's a lot. It's like almost, you know, doubling up. And uh, I I was like, wow, um, why didn't you pay me more before? And basically, when I did my exit interview, they were like, if you had asked for more, we would have paid you more because you were worth it. That told me something because I devalued myself because of my conviction. Let me say that again. I devalued myself. I said, I'm not worth as much because I have this freaking stigma, this damn scarlet letter I got to wear. And so when they asked what my desired salary was, I went 10, 15K lower than what I really wanted. I'll tell you right now, I don't do that anymore. So needless to say, I go to Houston. I'm in Houston for a couple of years. We sell our house in California, make a ton of money. The beautiful thing with that is we paid everything off. My wife's student loans, uh, car, like, you know, everything. Everything's paid. We have zero debt and we buy a house in Houston. Then we end up taking a huge chance and taking another position at another Goodwill in Evansville, Indiana. Um, costs us money, but it's it's a career move in the hopes of either building a legacy in Evansville or staying for long enough to lateral over to another larger Goodwill somewhere else, right? Um, 
and kind of slow, smaller town, like kind of be able to take our time and do stuff. Uh, it ended up being a bad fit. So we sell, we sell our house in Houston. We lose money because we only own the house for a year and some change. So we lose money. We lose money in the move. And, and I'm telling you guys this. I'm really being transparent because I want you to understand I've made plenty of bad decisions since I've been home. But it's also how I learn. Um, the thing I don't like now is that I have a wife and a daughter and bad decisions now don't just affect me and it's not as easy to snap back because I have to think about them and it's a good thing right but it also makes it harder right because I can eat top ramen and deal with being unemployed for a little bit not when I have to feed to other people right so anyway back to the story come up here to Evansville it's not a good fit uh I won't talk bad about Goodwill because I love Goodwill but just it wasn't I was a a square peg trying to fit into a circle hole so not employed right now which is bad spent a lot of money literally all the savings and stuff gone and now I'm in a foreign city with no friends no family and I'm looking for new opportunities the beautiful thing is through networking and like you heard LinkedIn, I've already had some people reach out about some opportunities. So that's a beautiful thing. And I like to think that my reputation and, and my track record is helping me now kind of explore things. Um, and I'm also looking at what are some options to get closer back to California and be around family. My point is this. Life is full of obstacles, challenges changes and I 100% believe that prison sharpened my mind to deal with this stuff because in prison you never know if you're going to go on lockdown you never know if there's going to be fog and so there's a fog line and you can't get out there there's so many different things that just screw you up in prison and you have no control over it and you learn to just deal with not having control so I've learned to deal with that now I just have to morph that into how do I deal with that as a husband and a father because right? these are new, uncharted uh, paths for me. But I'm 48 years old. I can now say half of my life I spent free and setting myself up for a huge failure. 25% of my life I spent incarcerated, learning and redeveloping and reshaping the person I kind of am now. And now I've spent 25% of my life trying to catch up with the 25% that I lost. Something else that was told to me, and I know this is running way longer than my usual 20 minutes, but something else that was told to me many, many years ago by my former boss and mentor, uh, she was talking to another vice president, and I was sitting in the room, and um, she basically said, when you look at Tito and you see the things he's doing and the balls that he's moving for us, what you have to remember is he is lacking the professional maturity that everyone else you look at. You don't see that in him because you see him doing things. And I thought, wait a minute, are you, are you, are you putting me down right now? And then she continued and said, see, he has, he's not this 40-year-old that's been working in the corporate office for the last 10, 15, 20 years. 
He's a 40-year-old that's barely been out of prison a few years. And in prison, he didn't have these environments. His environments were different. And I was like, holy crap. Yeah. You know, as much as I don't want to agree, I, I got to agree to an extent. Because I'm over here looking for angles all the time, which a lot of people do in corporate, right? <laughs> but I'm looking at them because it's inbreded in me from prison that not angles like how do I work you that's what most people think it's more how do I protect myself you know what is this person like dislike what is this person's triggers and how do I stay away from them so I don't have to deal with that bullshit right so so many things have happened in 12 years I am literally 48 years old unemployed with a wife and a five-year-old daughter who just turned five today and I am perfectly content and happy with everything that has happened because the negatives are what set me up for the next positives. The negatives, the failures, the falls are what set me up for the big comebacks and the big successes that I've had. That DUI is still hanging on my freaking driver's record because it doesn't clear for 10 years, right? Like no one cares about it so much anymore because it's way long. You know, way back in the day, 2011, 12, 2012. Uh, so I still got like a year and a half before it drops off. But my point is, like, that made me really think about things. And like, I I seriously hardly even drink now. Like, you know how when you go to the doctor, you tell the doctor, oh, I might have one drink a month and you know it's really 20 drinks. For me, like... I'll go months without having one drop of alcohol and I'm perfectly fine. So that DUI kind of made me realize, you know, alcohol ain't all that. I can have plenty of fun without it. Right. But anyway, um, this is way too long. That is basically my 12 years in a huge nutshell. Not to mention, I do want to say this. As soon as I got off parole, I got my passport. I went down to Peru with my dad um, to visit family down there. I've also been to, and I'm going to forget some, uh, Mexico a few times, uh, uh, Jamaica, Ireland, Dubai, Greece, jeez, uh, um, NASA, not Jamaica, I'm sorry, it was NASA, the Bahamas. Um, I want to say I've been somewhere else. Oh, Paris, France. Um I think there's one other place. But anyway, so I've traveled a lot um, since having my daughter, five years, obviously. Uh, not that much. <laughs> so now that she's getting a little bit older, we'll probably try and travel. But I guess I got to get a job first. Anyway, this is Tito. Um, I hope I didn't bore the crap out of people, but that's pretty much what it's been. The other thing with bouncing around from state to state and these different jobs and everything, I've met some really, really great people. And um, for all of y'all that are listening, I, I love you. I, I appreciate each and every one of you for the value you've added to my life. Um, so I want to say this. I love my family dearly. I love my wife and my daughter dearly, my parents and my sister and my brother. Um, oh, and that's the other thing. I found my brother. So my, my father had a child um, before he met my, my mom. And we just recently found him through Ancestry.com. Shout out to them. 
so my brother Keith out in the Boston area, love you, bro, and I'm so glad we're we're in touch now. Anyway, this is Tito 15 Life. Sorry for the long ramble, but any questions people had about uh, what I've been doing since I've been out, that's the majority of it. Oh, and I opened a transitional. <laughs> I told you guys I didn't write any of this down. Uh, right before I left Oakland Goodwill, <clears throat> and then it's still open to this day. Granny's house in Bay Point, California, opened a sober living and transitional house. I dumped tens of thousands of dollars into it of my own money. My wife's still kind of mad about that, but I love the fact that I was able to to help people out, and there's still people being helped to this day there. So, uh, kind of cool. Anyway, love y'all. Talk to you next time.